Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and we're running a week behind, but that's okay. We're here today to talk about our takeaways from the SBC 2021 in Nashville, Tennessee, which was just last week, June the 15th and the 16th, 2021. And joining me here is Jacob Gwynn and Brent Snyder. How you doing, guys? Doing good. Yeah, doing all right. All right. Uh, since Neil's not with us, I think Neil's actually vacationing, doing like a two-week deal across the country somewhere. It would have been nice to have him MC. I guess I'll MC this time. Uh, let's talk about uh, our big takeaways for uh, the SBC, and we'll just kind of go each one at a time here. Uh, one of the one of the things that I'm going to say, a number one takeaway I had was the vast majority of Southern Baptists care about the right things. They're focused on reaching people with the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and care very little about the politics that come with such a massive denomination. I mean, you're talking about 50,000 churches to do that. Would you brothers agree with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree for sure. All right. Another takeaway that I think we saw was that people are confused and I'm going to say definitely at the grassroots level, people are confused about some of the things happening at the SBC that's based upon what they're listening to. And I think a lot of this is coming out of social media. Um, just like in the presidential election, we saw uh, that there is information that can be skewed, misleading, and confusing. And at this year's annual meeting, much of the confusion was clarified, I think, from the platform and in different panel discussions. I think there are some who will continue to hear and see what they want, but leadership of the SBC, in my opinion, was was very clear, particularly from uh, institution heads that we heard from. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. All right. Third, I think we heard some fantastic sermons. Yeah, there was there was some good uh, good preaching. There always is great preaching. You know, if you were to describe the SBC to somebody who's never been, it's kind of like a business meeting with pastor trick-or-treating at the booths, right? Because you get to walk <laughs> around and get your swag. You know, it is funny because, uh, you know, I've always tried to do my best to describe what the convention is to people at church because they'll say, well, how was the conference? And not really a conference in the sense that you're being equipped um you know there is great preaching there there is you know the times of worship but then a lot of people forget about the the fact that there is literally two days of tedious business it is a business meeting and so yeah there's moments of prayer and i will say that one of the things i'm really appreciative this year is I felt like there was more prayer throughout the business meetings on Tuesday and Wednesday than maybe in years past. Um, but, uh, but it, there's a lot of business. So, so it's not, not, not a conference. <laughs> and I know that we said in a previous episode that the trains usually run on time. They did not run on time this year. 
we had uh, my favorite thing that was sort of comedic about the business meeting time was there was a guy who got up to the mic and basically he was wanting more time to discuss a resolution. So he passed, uh, he was trying to pass a motion to get more time, but in the, in the taking of the time to discuss the resolution to have more time, he ran out of time for the original motion he wanted time on. Yeah, that, that, that killed me because we had, we had, I want to say it was about 25 to 30 minutes worth of time. And we had used about 15 to 20 minutes worth of time discussing uh, different motions and resolutions coming up. And so this guy voted to, you know, even though we had already had the moment where you could amend uh, the schedule for the rest of the convention, that happens early on. And so he didn't make a motion then to do that. He made it during then and was trying to bring it out of uh, parliamentary procedure and just taking up way too much time. I mean, he literally killed the rest of the time that anybody had to speak about anything yeah. for asking for more time, which ought to be a lesson for us. And then there was my favorite motion on the floor by far was when the guy came to the mic and wanted the air conditioning turned down so that we weren't living in a in an oven because it was hot in that meeting hall. It was, you know, a date. The, the second day of business was much more comfortable <laughs> after after he spoke to and whoever the committee was on air conditioning took care of it. We were in great shape. Yeah. I mean, and, and by the way, if you, if you didn't catch the pictures in the New York times or wherever, some of our group was featured as the <laughs> photo on the New York times as proof that we were there. Who all was in that photo? Were you in that one, Brent? Yeah, it was me and Michael, I think. You and Michael, and then a couple from Rome Mountain there. Um, Mike, the border, we call him the Border Patrol guard there. He was there in the front. And I think they like him because he doesn't look like a typical Southern Baptist in a suit and, yeah. you know, clean shaven. I think we're actually planning on having a uh, newspaper signing here in a couple of weeks if anybody wants to. <laughs> I'm going to get in line, get Mike to sign up for sure. <laughs> um, the. Um, yeah, so it was it was hot, and we were and COVID nineteen was definitely over at the convention because we were practically sitting in each other's laps, <laughs> the way they had the chairs spaced. So there were fifteen thousand and what was it seven hundred or so messengers, yeah. and the place was probably set up to seat thirteen thousand maybe. Yeah. yeah, if you're if you were lucky, and then we we got seats kind of you know pretty good first day. I had to cut out early on the second day for a funeral, but. It was it was definitely uh, it was definitely compact in there. So, and there was a there was a lot of standing in line because there I, I've never seen. I think this is the biggest convention since like 1995 in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. that's what I read. Biggest one since 1995. So here, the last 25 years, you know, and really, I mean, even the last few years, this was double the size of the most recent conventions. So, so pretty pretty good size. And, and we didn't talk about this um, before we started recording, but it's definitely worth noting. This is only the second time that all 50 states and Puerto Rico have been represented at a SBC. Nice. I didn't realize that. So, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen in Anaheim, California, though. I no, here, I think Anaheim will be. Now, that may happen again in Charlotte. Charlotte's close enough to a lot of folks that, you know, it'll be a little easier access. Um, okay, I guess we're going to talk about the pink elephant, critical race theory, 
was a major point of discussion. We had two podcasts previously on here about it. Uh, there's been tremendous confusion over this. Uh, this is a well-intended effort, I think, in 2019 to try to extend a bridge with resolution number nine. And I think we talked about resolution nine in a previous podcast, how it was sort of thrown out there at the very end of the convention. Was it Birmingham? I think that was, Birmingham. Birmingham. Yeah, was it right yeah. at the end of Birmingham. I mean, I, I remember that because it was, it had to be within the last hour of the convention as it was coming up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that was part, part of the issue with why it went through, but. Uh, the convention though spoke clearly on the matter. I personally, I don't think you'll ever listen to this, but I think James Merritt did a very good job who was over the, um, the resolution committee and the chair of the resolution committee did a fantastic job. He explained why the committee chose to speak biblically about racism and leave everything else alone. And I think in our bulletin, we were, you usually handed a piece of paper of the new resolutions and that was on resolution two. And, you know, Merritt came to the mic and I remember him saying that, you know, we, we left this thing resolution two is wide enough to deal with more than just critical race theory to be rejected. He said, you know, our kids are being taught evolution in school and resolution two is wide enough to cover not only critical race theory, but to cover evolution and any other unbiblical worldview that may come into existence between now and whenever. And I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. Um, this resolution makes a, a reference to a 1995 resolution on racial reconciliation on the 105th anniversary, 50th anniversary of the Southern Baptist Convention. And that resolution said, we apologize to the African-Americans for condoning and or uh, you know, bringing systematic racism in our lifetime. We guarantee we excuse me genuinely repent of racism of which we have been guilty whether consciously psalm 1913 or unconsciously leviticus 4 27 so it made reference to and tied back to and so i think the resolution was well formed but there was a lot of discussion on that one wouldn't you agree yeah and i uh, two two points one i felt like the resolutions committee this year was as prepared as I've ever seen the resolutions committee to handle questions and um, objections from the floor. I thought they did an excellent job with that. Um, The other thing about, um, about resolution two, which we talked about this, you guys talked, I wasn't on the critical race theory podcast. I don't think, but I did listen to it. Good job, by the way. (laughs) Um, But Critical race theory is just one of many critical theories Um, and critical theory in general comes from Marxism. And so um, just like you said, it's definitely broad enough, but I'll just encourage people to go read resolution too. It was a very well-written resolution, um, a strong resolution, but also to tie together the discussion on resolution nine, which I think most people do agree now was not a well-written resolution. There was actually a motion to rescind, resolution nine um but that motion was ruled out of order and this will help people understand when we talk about resolutions what we mean resolutions are really just the stated opinion of any one given convention um and so 
there was a lot of discussion about that, which required a lot of explanation. And actually, I think at B-21, Al Moeller might have been the one that explained explained this there. And then it was explained on the stage in the convention hall as well. But um, to go back and to rescind a resolution would be to go back and try to rewrite history because the resolution in 2018 was a matter of a, opinion of the convention in 2018. Same as with the resolution in 95. And our convention has resolutions that endorsed slavery um, when, when slavery was going on. And so that was um, also brought up in the convention. It was. Well, and it, I think the guy that brought that up was kind of trying to make the point that, uh, I believe I believe that was Jonathan Six from Southeastern. That yeah, I think it was. But I think probably trying to make the point that, hey, um, we can't go back through the history books and like take away people's opinion throughout history. So um, I've, I've seen some articles and opinion pieces from people that are not informed about one about parliamentary procedure, but aren't really even informed about what's going on in the SBC and have used the fact that resolution nine was not rescinded have, have used that as an argument for a liberal drift. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. I, I think this year I, I agree with you. They, 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 they came prepared. They were ready. And, and I saw later on social media, James Merritt was asking some questions on Twitter and answering some questions. I mean, and, uh, and resolution two, the way they described it was, that they got several resolutions about critical race theory and critical theory in general. And what they tried to do was bring all that together and, and balance it. And I've seen on, on social media and I've seen some blogs that people have written about how they're, they're not particularly happy that um, it didn't mention critical race theory by name, but even as Travis alluded to it, it, they left it broad enough that it would cover any worldview or any, ideology that is the anti the antithesis of, of scripture. Um, I even saw, I saw Hershel York joking about this online, uh, about uh, imagine a group of people who wrote a resolution to cancel pork and people got mad that they didn't list bacon, right? Because essentially that's what the resolution is. They're, they're decrying any kind of ideology or worldview or anything like that that speaks against scripture or the value of of life and things like that, but didn't name the one thing. And so I, I appreciate the resolution and the committee for the way they brought it together. I, th I think there was definitely wisdom in setting it up to be that broad because, you know, it, it's a little different in the fact that um, there were, there were other resolutions that were passed on like there's resolution four on the equality act, which I think the equality act is going to, make life for Southern Baptist churches difficult in the future. Uh, but, you know, there had to be action on that as that is a more tangible thing that's happened. Whereas critical race theory is more what it says. It's a theory. And so when you're dealing in that realm, it's a little different. You know, one of the resolutions that didn't really, there's not been a whole lot of traction and conversation about was the one on the, uh, the genocide in China and the, of the Ugar people. And I read an article on Christian Posio that it was saying that Southern Baptist convention, that we are the first and only denomination uh, or Christian denomination that has publicly spoken out and decried and denounced the genocide that the, the Chinese communist party is doing. And so I was really appreciative of that. 
Um, I know it's not gotten any traction because of all the other white noise out there, but that doesn't uh, bleed well enough for them. Yeah, right? I That's... guess so. But, but I, I, I really appreciated that along with the one that, uh, like you're talking about with, um, uh, the equality act, there was another one about, uh, reaffirmation of the Hyde amendment and encouraging the current administration to insert the Hyde amendment again. So there were several great resolutions, um, but I guess they just didn't have the same value of, of CRT um, that people are kind of uh, really hitting the drum on. And, and I guess even like Brent was saying, the idea of rescinding that, trying to go back and I guess cancel the opinion of a previous convention. And uh, I, I don't know, anyways. I also enjoyed the protesters that were there the first day <laughs> who were who were who were saying that we had not repented or that we had not uh, didn't believe the Bible and that we were pro-abortion, which uh, speaking, that's what the Hyde Amendment made me think of that. Uh, I like how every convention always tries to ratchet up the pro-life language even more than it's already been ratcheted up in the past. And, you know, it's just funny to me. I, I didn't get a chance to talk to any of them. When we were at the food trucks trying to get lunch, there was one truck that was driving around screaming at us. Do you remember that? I and remember I, I remember thinking, <laughs> I remember thinking as I was standing in line, it was like 3000 degrees in downtown Nashville at the time. It was like walking on the sun. Uh, and uh, this guy screaming at me from this bus, well, I just want a cheeseburger, man. That's all I want. I just want a burger for lunch. Guy's screaming at me. And then I thought about, you know, those groups that scream at people when they're coming in and out of the abortion clinics, you know what I mean? I thought, I wonder if this is how they feel. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to, I just want something to make that I perceive will make my life easier. And then I, I don't know that there's a high, uh, you know, a high um, return rate on treating people that way, just screaming at them on a van that drives by. Cause I think that's what Jesus did. I mean, he got on a wagon with horses and just screamed at people as they went in and out of the temple in Jerusalem. Right. So, you know, it was so funny about that on the second day we were, uh, I was, I was out at the food trucks and, um, <laughs> they were, there were some protesters out there and they had body cameras on and, uh, I was, I was just really walking past, but a lady that had obviously been at the convention meeting, she came over to the girl that was like, she had just been standing up on like the concrete base for the light pole and screaming and holding up her poster. She had just sat down and the woman came over to her and she put her arm around her. And she said, honey, you know, we're pro-life, right? <laughs> and so I kind of slowed down a little bit because I wanted to hear how this conversation went. And that the woman made some comment about not pro-life enough. And she said, no, 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 listen, we don't agree with abortion at any stage. And most of us don't agree with abortion under any circumstances. And that woman was like, are you sure? <laughs> and she was like, Oops. yeah. <laughs> well, but we rented this truck and we painted it and we have microphones and we're screaming at you while you're trying to get your lunch that you should be pro-life. So clearly you're not pro-life, right? Uh, well, I came, I came back out like 30 minutes later after I got my food and eat and the signs were still there just laying up against the light pole, but the people were gone. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was relatively unoppressed. I mean, when we came out to eat supper later, you know, I saw them at lunchtime and they were screaming at us at lunchtime, 
because you know jesus when he was at the with the woman at the well, well and she was in sexual sin that's what he did he just walked around and screamed at her on the outskirts of the wells you know he didn't actually engage with her and have a conversation but anyway wait is that how that's written or is that over in second opinions i can't remember uh but uh they weren't even out there when we went out to get supper it's like the heat got to them and they had to quit i mean either you're committed to the truth that you're preaching or you're not you know what i mean so anyhow uh all right moving on <laughs> uh there's always some protesters you know we're either too liberal for some or too conservative for others so that kind of like jesus all right here we go next is sexual abuse was a point of discussion in the convention and there was actually a sbc sexual abuse survivors joint statement that was made at the convention and i wanted to I wanted to read it real quick on here so people are aware of it. Uh, it says, we come collective now collectively as the SBC uh, sexual uh, abuse survivors to make our wishes known in regard to the ongoing crisis of sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention. Together, we strongly urge that these immediate actions be taken. One, all SBC messengers support the motion of Todd and ben, Binkert, Binkert, is that how you say his name? Todd Binkert, yeah. for hiring of an outside organization to audit and, uh, and uh, assess abuse and mishandling of abuse within the denomination. This, I think, primarily pointed at the executive committee, which is going to unfold here. Two, the scope of the guidepost investigation in the executive committee is broadened to include the credentials committee and all paid, appointed, executive, or volunteer staff or leaders of the convention, the executive committee, and the credentials committee. Three, the executive committee waives all privileges with guideposts, complete and full access to all data and information. And four, executive committee commits that any final report from guidepost investigation will be made public in full without redaction or revision, except for the firm's protection of the individuals identified information of abuse survivors. And then five, any first investigation or audits regarding sexual abuse within the SBC, which are approved, include the services of grace. Um, this is signed I think it might by, be helpful for, for some of the listeners is, you know, we, we had addressed some sexual abuse issues back in 2019 at Birmingham, but just right. to kind of bring that to light for some people here is that, if you haven't seen in the news or, or heard about it, that uh, the executive committee, may, you know, it appears that there was a there was a professor at Southern Seminary um, who one who I had, I, I had him as well, yes, um, who committed sexual abuse, and it came out years later, and eventually that had come through the process to the executive committee and. It appears from some conversations and some letters and things like that 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 was not handled correctly or or biblically, and so uh, and so the reason this has kind of been thrust back into the spotlight is for that investigation from a from a third party, which I know Grant Gaines uh, brought a motion to the floor uh, to have a third party investigation like Guidepost, which is a Christian organization, um, to do to do an investigation in regards to that and mentioned a lot of the same things that you had brought up, Travis, in that letter about them waiving uh, certain things because they, the, the, the lawyer that represents the executive committee and Ronnie Floyd and things like that, that they would mention, they would waive. And 
um, you know, initially this, that motion was, I don't know if you guys remember, but the second day it was ruled out of order. And I, I one of the things I thought was, was amazing was, uh, um, a messenger brought it up to bring it back into the, the spotlight back in order and to submit it to action. And it overwhelmingly, um, was voted on in the affir affirmative by the messengers, um, which I, I thought was in many ways, pretty, pretty powerful. So I, I think it was actually, I don't think it was really out of order. I think it was actually sent to the committee. That's right. That's right. You're right. Yeah, it wasn't out of order. It was, it was sent to the executive committee, which yeah, because it, that was the executive make a lot committee. of sense if they're investigating yeah. themselves, that would be sent to them. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. And so then it required a motion and a second and a two thirds vote by the messengers in order to bring that motion back out of committee. And then, like Jacob said, it was overwhelming support to bring it out back out of committee, but that still didn't pass the motion. That just allowed the motion to be scheduled for debate later in the afternoon uh, when the uh, when the motion was debated and then it was eventually passed overwhelmingly. Yeah, and there are, you know, I may, I don't know if I can scan this and put it in the notes. I'm sure we can probably find this, maybe put a post somewhere about it, but you probably can look it up, SBC Survivor joint statement there was a lot of you know everybody that a lot happened between now and the last time we recorded for a podcast like a lot of things <laughs> were leaked online and we don't even have time in this episode to go into all that what was amazing to me was the fact that whenever we were discussing this this was in the first day there somebody had already mentioned an investigation of the executive committee i guess this was when it was sent in the first time and one guy went to the mic and was like the the exec why is the executive committee being investigated? <laughs> and everybody was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, th there was an article that Baptist Press did about the, the demographics of the convention uh, and who was there. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was a large percentage of uh, of individuals, it was their first convention. Ever. It, it was over thirty percent. Yeah, it, it was a large percent. I'm, I'm trying to glance back at the the at at that article, but it was it was a large percent. I, I mean, I think you're right. I think it was thirty some percent, and I think that affected some of it because you had a lot of people that got up, and it was thirty eight percent that had never attended the convention. So almost forty percent. And so I think that affected the way some of the business was handled because some people weren't sure how we, we vote on things or how we bring things up and motions and the difference between a, a resolution in regards to parliamentary procedure and according to SBC life. And, um, and, and I think that was part of the issues. And like you're saying, the, the guy that brought up asking if they were under investigation and the answer to that was yes and no. I mean, they were initiating that process, but it hadn't officially began and, and so I think you had a lot of people that were just unaware about a lot of things going into the convention. Well, the guy that leaked all this stuff, I mean, he's, he's been blowing the whistle for some years going all the way back to Paige Patterson. And, uh, you know, there, there shouldn't have been any surprise unless you pigeonhole yourself into one particular group's echo chamber on social media. You know what I mean? That would be the only way you would not be aware of, this impending investigation that was coming in. That's all we'll say about that. Uh, any other, anything else on the SBC 
I really think that we had to make statements since it was out there. And I mean, our, our opponents on the left knew it was out there and were kind of chomping at the bit in some ways, you know, had we not addressed it and had we not said, okay, we're going to do some internal investigation. I think that would have been a crippling thing to the witness of a, of us as a denomination personally. Like I think it had, there had to be something passed, some kind of investigation, you know, some kind of affirmation of these survivors. Cause you know, I, I mean, you know, I, I went back and listened to the ERLC where they had Rachel or oh, what is her last name? The yeah, one Hollander. Yeah. And she was pointing out the fact she's like, now, how many of you here uh, would love to just get on stage and talk about your best sexual experience to a group this size? And of course, nobody wants to do that. You know what I mean? Not in a Christian uh, group like that. Nobody wants to do that, much less their most uh, horrible sexual experience. And so this, this issue gets easily silenced and pushed to the side, unfortunately, more often than it should be. And there, there, it'll be interesting to see what truly comes out, you know, based on some of the audio clips and what's been leaked. I, I think that there is, there was some mishandlings personally, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll reserve my final judgment till I see the report. So anyhow, all right. Uh, number eight, we had, oh, we already talked about this one, the largest group that had been gathered uh, and, you know, it was interesting to see that basically just meant standing in line everywhere, right? When you went to go register, you had to stand in line forever. Uh, some people while standing in line tried to spark up some cheers and some rah-rah, but didn't really catch on. I don't think like they wanted to, but anyway, it was, it was interesting. It's, you know, when you got a group like that, you got all kinds of people with all kinds of expectations for what they think the convention is. There, number nine, I, I want to just point out the fact that there is a there is a small movement in the SBC called the Conservative Baptist Network, and we're going to have to talk about this one because I've gotten more questions about the convention, particularly, you know, from this. Their presence, I think, was felt at the convention. Uh, sadly, what is happening is that there is a party that is developing within the convention that I would say is unhelpful and unnecessary. Uh, now, brothers would you would you say you saw any detection of a leftward liberal drift in the convention this week this year unequivocally no wow that was that was a big statement yeah no i don't see a drift i i honestly feel like as a convention we are wholeheartedly committed to the inerrancy and the sufficiency of scripture and wholeheartedly seeking to live on mission for Christ and carrying out the great commission. Yeah. I would agree with that too. I would say no. Um, there, this is a smaller group. I mean, I think if you, we'll talk about this in just a minute, but if you go by some of the voting, maybe 30, 36% of the total convention might be leaning this way, or if you were on the high side, maybe 40, maybe. Well, let me say this about the conservative Baptist network though, because I don't think that everyone that considers himself a part of the conservative Baptist network really understands what's going on at the head of the snake, because here's the deal. I, there, there are three trigger words for Baptist. All right. It's pro-life conservative and inerrancy. If you throw any of those three words out, it's like throwing food into a fish pond. 
like we are jumping out of the water to get after it. And so the Conservative Baptist Network has been strategically named to make you automatically think when you hear it, I want in. So maybe 30 to 40% of the people affiliate, say, yeah, I'm part of the Conservative Baptist Network, why not? But do they really understand how this whole thing came about? I'd say there's less than, I'm going to say less than 15% of the people in Nashville. Yeah, it's a very, the vocal ones are smaller. It's a very vocal group though, a very vocal group. And they're, they have their, their means that they communicate. And and I want to be charitable to them. I mean, I, there, I I think we all probably know individuals that, uh, are, are part of the conservative Baptist network. I, I was a little hesitant when it first came out. Um, I was interested, but at the same time hesitant because as Southern Baptists, we are conservative. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, why is there a need for this? And um, I, some of my hesitancy had to deal with uh, in light of, of Paige Patterson and just his falling his hands behind that. And, you know, later we found out uh, he, he was the one who kind of helped architect this and bring this about. And so um, I, I think I want to be charitable because there, there is great brothers and sisters in Christ that are a part of this network who love the Lord, who believe God's word wholeheartedly and um, are unashamed of sharing the gospel. But I, I have an issue with just some of the, the methods of how they speak to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I, you know, I saw online one was saying that we shouldn't call, uh, essentially saying we shouldn't call anybody who voted for Moeller or Litton, basically anybody who didn't vote for Mike Stone, they're not believers, they're apostates. And I just thought that that is that is very uncharitable and and is slanderous, quite honestly. Um, you know, I, I read an article by the, the Conservative Baptist Network that, uh, I mean, they were essentially saying that uh, Barry McCarty had rigged the parliamentary procedure so that they could not get to the vote and speak to certain issues. And I I want to listen and hear what they have to say, and I want to be charitable, but, but I, we also have to speak in truth. And that's my big struggle with them is that they're not being truthful about some of the things. And I think like what Brent's saying, there are people who get sucked into hearing certain things like this because they hear conservative Baptist network think, okay, well, maybe there is an issue, but they're not being truthful about what actually happened in the room. My, my hope would be that we would all unite around the word of God and around the Baptist faith and message 2000, which is our minimal doctoral statement. And if you can't do that, you know, maybe you should consider something else. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is who we are. This is who we have been for a long time. Uh, that's, that's our denomination's confession and the greater authority of the word. I, I don't think that splintering off, I think you said previously, Jacob, in one episode, splintering off into basically oblivion is going to be helpful for all 50,000 churches in the convention and the voice that we have in the wider world. So, which that kind of makes a good transition. Uh, Led, Ed Litton was voted in as the, the new president of the SBC. Uh, in the original... In the original first vote, Moeller, Stone, Litton, and Adams were the four. 
and the way it kind of set up, if you put it in light of the conservative Baptist network, their boys were stone and Adams, Dr. Adams. So they wanted stone first, then Adams second. And they were pitted against Moeller and Lytton. And depending on who you are, whatever they, they saw them as the other side. In the original first vote, Moeller received 26.32% of the vote, Stone 36.48%, Lytton 32.38%, and Adams 4.71%. Uh, one of the things- There were 17 ballots disallowed. I want to point that out. 17 people could not figure out how to properly vote. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So that happened. Uh, so there was a runoff. And in the runoff, you know, the, it wasn't quite what I thought it was, about a 4% margin there between. Um, I think that there were 13,131 votes cast in the runoff. 6,278 went to Stone, 47.81%, and then Lytton carried 6,834 at 52%, and Lytton became the president of the SBC. These numbers are interesting to me. Um, you know, like you said, 30% of the messengers were first-time messengers. I'll say this. Uh, Jacob, I don't know how many you've been to, and Brent, I don't know how many you've been to, but one thing I noticed, it was a younger crowd this time than ever has been at the convention. I remember one year, my first years in the convention being the the very young guys that was there, and that were seen to be a little bit of a demographic shift in the age that was there. Yeah, that uh, press, that article about the demographics, um, I thought was really interesting because they said 30% of the messengers were over 60 years old, 24% were under 40, and 45% were between 40 and 60 which is a shift towards a younger convention. Travis, I don't know if you were in Birmingham or not. I mean, me and Jacob were down there together. Um, But I I thought Birmingham was younger too, which I figured J.D. Greer has helped with that quite a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that um, there has been a pull there and, you know, the, the pull for missions is, is, in my opinion, a good enough reason alone to stay in a convention, not to mention our institution, seminary, and voice that we have, but uh, that's, that's a good enough reason in and of itself. Now, one of the things that I think hurt Adams in particular as, as we were going in, I, we started seeing some paid advertisements for different candidates, usually Stone and, and Adams. And, you know, a lot of us have kind of felt like, look, the office finds the man, the man doesn't find the office. And Adams was sort of trying to run on his campaign on transparency. And yet when pressed on who funded little, that little newspaper, SBC News, that was being handed out outside the convention. And when people asked him about it, where the finances came to have so many of those printed off, he refused to answer. It's a little, yep. trans, you know, not, not, not quite uh, transparent. Where's the transparency? You know what I thought of? I thought of a, an episode of Scooby-Doo, you know, and, you know, where they always unmask the uh, monster at the end. You know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. like, who's behind all this funding of candidates? And then you pull the mask off and it's Paige Patterson. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's the Sandy Creek Foundation. You know what I'm saying? We thought you were the ones. Anyway, sorry, I had to get that in there. But uh so Ed Litton, though, Ed Litton is a, he professes to inerrancy and fallibility. He told us he was at the B21 luncheon, which you can find that panel is now up. He is a, uh, he is a complimentarian from the lips of his own mouth. And so I think that uh, Litton has done some 
some work in the area of racial reconciliation in the Mobile area, where I think that it's a bigger issue there than some other places. So we're looking forward to seeing what Ed will do. Seems to be uh, gospel-centered, grace-saturated, and level-headed. So I hope that that will. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with his election and with this presidency, I, I mean, I had some church members that were curious when they saw articles by, I guess it was Washington Post or New York Times one, and it would say moderate Ed Litton elect. And, and so you hear moderate, their first thought was, okay, what, what just happened? And, uh, and so, I, you know, it, it's interesting, the categories that I think um, the watching or outside world was trying to put individuals in. So uh, I think right before the convention, there was a, an article from the New York Times that was talking about the conservative Baptist network and Mike Stone as being ultra fundamentalist was what they called them. Uh, I didn't say that. That's what the New York Times called them. Um, I would but say that they, they called uh, Ed Litton moderate um, and and not because he hold, you know, he clearly is not moderate. If you believe in the inerrancy of scripture and the sufficiency of scripture and uh, the bodily resurrection of Christ and on and on we could go, um, that, that is not moderate at all. It was it was just because his views in regards to racial reconciliation and how we do certain things methodology that they claimed him as moderate. And so I had to explain it to a few people at church that he, he's not a moderate. Um, it's just when the world is trying to figure out how to differentiate between two conservative people, uh, this one looks a little bit more moderate in our eyes. So we'll give him the title of moderate. I think from outsiders looking in, many of um, Southern Baptists and pastors, we all look just a hair's difference from each other. We look very close and similar. And it was it was kind of fun to watch, you know, those in leftist media outlets try to figure out titles to give to us because they're always wrong. And even, even us who are not part of the Conservative Baptist Network, we don't think that the people that are in the Conservative Baptist Network are monsters or enemies or anything like that. Uh, we exactly and exactly like I said I want to be charitable with them and and at the same time I don't think that they're great brothers and sisters in Christ but the way the world has pit them it makes them look uh, you know like the I, I, I won't I won't say what it looks like but it, it's not good <laughs> yeah you know they're they're very very faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who care greatly about the gospel and care greatly about doctrine so I'm not going to sit here and say that they're awful people because I think I think that's kind of what, you know, the, the media is wanting. Um, I remember listening to a podcast from the, uh, the president at Southwestern, excuse me, at uh, Gateway Seminary, and he was talking about, he got a phone call from a radio host, and, and he said, hey, I want to know your opinion about how the SBC is going to pass a resolution and ban Disney. And he said, I'm not aware of any resolution that they're going to ban Disney. Well, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I don't have any thoughts on a resolution that's not been composed and I've not seen, so I can't state anything. Well, you don't seem like you care very much about this. Well, I, I don't. <laughs> and then he went on to say, well, what do you care about? And he said, well, the fact that we are sending out this many amount of missionaries, that we have this many church plants, and then the guy just hung up. You know, he just was not interested in true kingdom work that was going on. You know, if it bleeds, it leads is the attitude. And the more blood, the better, you know. Yeah, and you know, so, Ed Lynn has done a few interviews on online or through, you know, CNN and Fox and MSNBC and NPR and things. And I, I saw a clip of one on MSNBC and the, the guy asked the question and he just said, what is a Southern Baptist? Because he didn't even know what 
what Southern Baptists were. And so Ed Linton just explained just our view of, of the gospel and the gospel alone through Jesus Christ saves us. And we believe wholeheartedly in the word. We believe wholeheartedly in the mission of Christ and, and going to all nations. And, um, and the, the guy was kind of somewhat surprised and I think turned off by that response. Yeah, I think he was looking for a little bit more calm. I saw that same interview and I think he was looking for something a little bit more heated and they're always disappointed whenever our leaders don't give them something a little more fierce, I think, but you know, that's, that's okay. I think that's, that's sharing with them what the gospel is and living that out. Uh, any final thoughts on, as we review walking away there, I honestly, I felt encouraged for now that there were, you know, I really love the fact I love being part of the sin service where we sent out, was it 64 missionaries, some of them individuals, some of them couples, some of them were able to stand in this bright light and show us who they were and that be recorded and photographs taken of them. Others had to stand behind a wall and speak from there because they're going to some tough areas. You know, I saw, I'm thinking probably areas like Pakistan or other areas where it's highly Muslim population and where, you know, Christians have to be very careful. And so, you know, that was a, always a great, one of my favorite highlights of the convention when we do that. So there, there were a lot of other good things that we didn't even really get a chance to talk about. But any other closing thoughts, brothers? I'll just add that uh, probably my biggest takeaway, we've talked about this before we recorded, probably my biggest takeaway from this convention. Obviously, it wasn't new to me. I think this was my fourth or fifth convention. Um, but, you know, we claim that SBC churches are autonomous and that the convention is run by the churches. And um, that was more evident than ever at this, um, at this convention. I had a first timer uh, with me um, and someone who really didn't have much knowledge at all of the SBC or what it is um, his, was his first convention. And, um, you know, that was, that was even his biggest takeaway is that, man, the, the churches really do um, steer the ship. And uh, that was evident in the recommendations that uh, the executive committee brought forward that was overwhelmingly um, denied. And the fact we already talked about it, but the motion being brought back out of the executive committee to be debated and voted on while the convention was in session, there was a resolution that was brought out of committee. And so um, the, the, we, we talked about, um, I don't know if we actually talked about this on the recording, but, um, you know, he said the trains usually run on time and they didn't this year. But really the reason they didn't this year is because the churches were there to take charge and in a lot of ways took charge of the agenda and sometimes, mis, mis, sometimes mishandled the way they were trying to take charge and wasted time. But, uh, but nonetheless, it was just so evident that, uh, man, it's not – it's it's not a top down structure in the SBC. It's it's really a it's really a bottom up, and that uh, we are uh, voluntarily committed to one another for the sake of cooperation, uh, primarily for missions, and then also a support of our entities, seminaries, and things ERLC and things like that. It's already been mentioned. So that was the biggest takeaway for me. Um, if you're frustrated by what's going on at the uh, with the SBC and with the convention. Uh, then let your church have a business meeting, elect a couple messengers and get them to Anaheim in 2022 because um, they'll have ample opportunity for their voice to be heard. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, there definitely was definitely key moments where it was evident that the, the churches are 
what are leading the convention, not not a committee, not entity heads, but but truly is the the convention of churches itself. And uh, you know, I always love the the sin service through through the IMB. It's always super encouraging. And um, one of the things that I noticed um, this year, and I, and I thought was interesting, was just after the convention, reading about some of the demographics, just the just how diverse the convention was, um, having uh, a representative from every single state. Um, you had church planners from all over the United States that were there. You had um, even just uh, ethnic diversity. There was a lot of diversity. And, and some of that was represented just in the music. Um, you know, I, I thought the music was, was really interesting. We would go from maybe a worship song to a hymn to, uh, to a gospel hymn. And uh, the, the way that that was kind of woven out, and I thought, e even at one point, I'm trying to remember what the hymn, we, we were singing a hymn, and then the second verse of the hymn was being sung in Spanish. And so uh, I think, you know, the IMB really was hitting on this idea of really the, the vision that we see in, in Revelation about every tongue, tribe, and nation. And I think you're really seeing that being reflected a lot more in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, more so now than ever before. And, and I'm so appreciative of that and, and seeing just brothers and sisters of Christ from, from all over the, the world and different ba backgrounds and so forth coming together, all focused on one thing, and that, that is the gospel, and that the gospel truly is above all in everything that we do. Amen. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. All right. Thank you for joining us this time and join us next week. And we hope you guys will be praying for our new president and praying for Anaheim. I know it's a year away, but uh, lots of folks probably need this much time to plan and save because it will not be cheap. Nashville was more expensive than I thought it was going to be, to be quite honest. Uh, so, you know, Anaheim and who knows, Anaheim might be cheaper. You know, I've heard about whenever they take movies out of California and do them other places, sometimes the places jack the rates up. So maybe California will be nice to us, you know, whenever we go out there. Thanks again, guys, for joining me today. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.